Hello, everyone, and welcome to Third Eye with Lorelai. I'm your host, Lorelai, where we talk all things metaphysics. Thank you for coming back after my long break. I hope that you guys all were doing something really great on these two weeks that I have been away. I sure missed all of you guys. I've been thinking about all the things and looking up a whole bunch of stuff and I hope all you guys are good. I'm doing good. I had some really good time to just like, I I had a great time looking up everything for you guys and figuring out what to talk about next which way we want things to go and how things are going to be set up. Really, things are going to be set up pretty much the same, but I'm just going to add in a few things here and there. Maybe talk to a couple of people and just really dig up some interesting information and talk about more things that is really cool in the empathic world. So, but first and foremost, because today is August 1st, we're going to talk about Lunasa. So, Of course, that's the topic because that's the new Sabbath, right? The new wheel of the year Sabbath. And so, yeah, I just kind of spilled the beans. That's the topic. (laughs) But hey, we're going to be talking about that the first episode because, hey, today is the day. It is the day today to talk about it. So might as well. Anyway. So we're going to go down the list of the things that we normally talk about. We're going to talk about our crystals of the week, and we're going to talk about the quote, and then we're going to talk about Lunasa, our, our, our new Sabbath. So anyway, let's go with the crystals first, shall we? So I chose Snowflake Obsidian and Serpentine this week. And so I sadly, the Crystals for Beginners book doesn't have either one of these stones in them and that kind of bums me out a little bit but it is in the crystal bible book by judy hall yay so we're gonna start there so let's start with snowflake obsidian and this is what she says about snowflake obsidian it's black and white it's usually modeled and as though snowflakes were on the surface and it's often small and tumbled it's easily obtained and it's sourced worldwide so you can get it anywhere and so that means it's probably not going to be super expensive at any crystal shop around you so or on amazon so the properties of snowflake obsidian are it placed on the sacral chakra snowflake obsidian calms and soothes and putting you in the right frame of mind to be receptive before bringing to your attention ingrained patterns of behavior it teaches you to value mistakes as well as successes it is a stone of purity providing balance for body mind and spirit snowflake obsidian helps you to recognize and release wrong thinking and stressful mental patterns it promotes dispassion and inner centering With the aid of Snowflake Obsidian, isolation and loneliness become empowering, aiding surrender in meditation. 
For healing, Snowflake Obsidian treats veins in the skeleton and improves circulation. The elixir is good for the skin and eyes. To place, uh, to position correctly, you want to place as appropriate or use as an elixir. Now, I also looked up Snowflake Obsidian on Energy Muse, and I didn't get really any good results. So I'm just going to go with the description on the Crystal Bible book, and then we'll just move forward from there. Because I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty straightforward. And okay, so let's talk about Serpentine. And so I got this from, I, so this was on Energy Muse and it was also on the Judy Hall uh, Crystal Bible book. So we'll start from the Crystal Bible to talk about Serpentine. So this is what she says. It comes in red, green, brown, red, brown, yellow, black, green, and white. It's usually mottled with a dual appearance, can be water-worn and often polished, and it comes in all sizes. It's easily obtained from a specialist stores and sourced out of Britain, specifically, specifically Cornwall, Norway, Russia, Zimbabwe, Italy, and the United States. Serpentine is an earthing stone that aids meditation and spiritual exploration. Clearing the chakras and stimulating the crown chakra, it opens psychic abilities and helps you to understand the spiritual basis of life. This stone opens new pathways for the kundalini energy to rise. It assists the retrieval of wisdom and regains memory of past lives. Psychologically, serpentine helps you to feel more in control of your life. It corrects mental and emotional imbalances and assists the conscious direction of healing energy towards problem areas. Physically, serpentine is extremely cleansing and detoxifying for the body and blood. It is said to ensure longevity. For healing, serpentine eliminates parasites, aids calcium and magnesium absorption, and treats hypoglycemia and diabetes. For positioning, hold or place on the appropriate spot. So in addition to serpentine, there's also the infinite stone, which I thought was really cool. And it's a light green type of serpentine. So this is a gentle, tender natured stone that brings you into contact with angelic guidance. It accesses and integrates the past, present and future and is excellent for past life exploration as it promotes compassion and forgiveness for yourself and what you went through. Holding this stone takes you into the healing realms that exist in the in-between life state so that healing so that healing that was not undertaken after a former life ended can be completed. This stone heals and balances from past lives and clears emotional baggage from previous relationships. Placed on the throat, it aids speaking of the past and resolves issues that have been carried over into the present. Use infinite stone if you want to confront anyone from your past as it brings a gentle touch to the meeting. Light green serpentine is excellent for pain relief, especially menstrual and muscular aches and pains. Okay, so wow. I think that is oh wait, okay, sorry. I forgot we were gonna do energy muse also. So energy muse says about serpentine. In our chaotic and imperfect world, it's easy to blame others when life doesn't go as planned. That's why the medicine of the serpentine crystal is an essential component to your gemstone first aid kit. It's vibrant and intuitive energy gently guides us towards our true purpose in life by giving us the wisdom to take responsibility for our lives. Instead of leaving fate to chance, hedge your bets on the serpentine crystal meaning, which is linked with the ancient healing wisdom of snakes found in the Native American animal spirit medicine. It's mottled green, golden green color resembles snakeskin 
given its name and meaning, which is linked with the powerful regenerative energy of this prehistoric reptile, a transformation of rebirth that's reflected in the snake shedding its skin. The ancients were also big fans of the snake and its legendary symbolism. Hermes, the father of alchemy, used the symbol of two intertwining snakes around a sword to represent healing. Now, wait a minute. Isn't that like a symbol for the College of Medicine? I feel like I've seen that before. Am I am I crazy? I feel like I've seen that before. <laughs> the two intertwining snakes around a sword. Why do I feel like I've seen that at like a UC, like UCSF or something like that? Anyway, College of Medicine of some kind. Quote me on that. Don't quote me on that. I don't know. I'll probably look it up in a minute. <laughs> anyway. In crystal medicine, the serpentine crystal stone meaning embodies the power of creation, sexuality, and fertility, which represents the life force of our ever-spinning planet. On a psychological level, it helps balance out the hormones, making it an excellent energy supplement for that time of the month. And yes, men also have hormonal cycles, which makes serpentine a powerful stone for both male and female energies. The medicine of the snake is considered magical, especially among ancient healers, who use the serpentine crystal stone as an antidote for deadly snake bites. In crystal healing, the serpentine crystal meaning harnesses powerful healing energy that works to create an energetic and protective shield around the body. When you feel safe and guarded from proverbial snake bites, it gives you the freedom and security you need to glow with love and happiness. The serpentine meaning reminds us to shoot for the stars because everybody's inner child knows their true purpose in life. Even if your dreams have been buried by societal expectations and demands of adulthood, the serpentine crystal stone meaning serves as the catalyst to free you from the shackles of society and self-imposed limitations. An easy way to have constant access to its powerful healing vibes is by wearing serpentine jewelry. Uh, it combines a dazzling array of colors and the strongest stones for manifesting the inner strength needed to follow your dreams. Every time you glance... Ugh, okay, I'm moving on. <laughs> They're talking about their jewelry. We don't... Go to, go to Energy Muse and get the jewelry if you want the jewelry. I just want to know about the stone, right? An effective way to channel the serpentine is through meditation because when it comes to regenerative healing of the mind, body, spirit, crystals and peaceful contemplation is like peanut butter and jelly for the soul. When you sit quietly with the stone and give it a specific intention, the stone becomes much more than dazzling eye candy sitting on your shelf. It now holds a personal meaning that you can call on whenever you need its distinctive healing qualities. Trust the serpentine crystal to do its job because it's ha it has your back since day one. Oh, it's had your back since day one. When it comes to the health and happiness of your heart and soul, don't let a few snakes in the garden scare off your inner child. Embodying the fire element, the snake energy found in serpentine heals snake bites on a physiological and psychological level with the ancient wisdom of fighting fire with fire. The snake has known many moons and many bites, making it one of the strongest crystals in transforming negative into beautiful rebirth of spirit. Just like the symbol of the snake, the serpentine crystal serves as a protective talisman that keeps you safe from psychic attacks. Whether you're returning to the great indoors for peaceful contemplation or forest bathing in the wilderness, wear serpentine crystal jewelry and make any outfit pop with that waxy luster of bright green. Even better, when it's combined with other complementary healing crystals, it creates a synergistic effect that infuses your spirit with a whimsical resilience. Elevate your soul and your everyday wardrobe with a two-in-one fashion statement that harnesses the infinite wisdom of serpentine, the snake stone. 
The serpentine crystal stone protects the heart with its powerful snake medicine, a strong force that helps give you an overall energy detox. Like a refreshing and nutritious green drink for the soul, the serpentine crystal is like spring cleaning for the soul. Just like its yellow-green color that reflects the new growth of a forest, the serpentine inspires you to start fresh, helping to clear away any psychic debris left over from the past. The serpentine crystal reminds us that life is a series of choices, so choose wisely and always follow your bliss. Okay, so that covers both of the crystals. And I'm kind of blown away because I'm not even at 15 minutes, so... Here we go. On to the quote of the week. And yes, I only have one! going on Lorelai why are you only picking one and why are you done with crystals before 15 minutes what is happening it's okay it's a new day we're gonna make things right <laughs> we're gonna make it through it the quote of the week realize deeply that the present moment is all you have make the now the primary focus of your life and that was by Eckhart Tolle okay let's talk about Lunasa now when Initially, when you look at the word Lunasa, it is all kinds of crazy with the letters and such. Because like most Celtic names, it's not phonetically said the way that it's spelled. And so the way that, the way that Lunasa is spelled is L-U-G-H-N-A-S-A-D-H, Lunasa. Or also known as Lhasa, L-A-S-S-A, which is much easier to say if you are, you know, American like myself, <laughs> uh, maybe it's harder. Maybe it's hard for some, you know, people who are, who live in Ireland and Scotland that have been around, you know, Gaelic and Celtic names and such. But I have a feeling they're probably laughing at me right now, <laughs> saying, "Really, it's not that hard." <laughs> anyway, so I actually found two articles that discuss the history of Lamas and or Lunasa and it goes over the different historical meanings behind Lamas or the this the harvest season if you will it's sort of like the ending of things being in the summer and we're moving now into the slow progression into the harvest season or fall so this first um, article that I found was from one of my favorite sites, learnreligions.com, and by Miss Patty Winchington. And this is what she says, and she kind of goes over a little bit about what like some of the cultures are and, 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 the, and that sort of thing with Lamas. So at Lamas, also called Lunasa, the hot days of August are upon us. Much of the earth is dry and parched, but we still know that the bright reds and yellows of the harvest season are just around the corner. Apples are beginning to ripe in the trees. Our summer vegetables have been picked. Corn is tall and green, waiting for us to come gather the bounty of the crop fields. Now is the time to begin reaping what we have sown and gather up the first harvest of grain, wheat, oats, and more. This holiday can be celebrated either as a way to honor the god oh, Lua. That's right. I actually read through some of these just to find some of the Celtic names to make sure that I'm pronouncing them right. So gold star Lorelei for a minute anyway, <laughs> until, until I didn't read one of them and then I'll just butcher it. So I apologize if I do. But anyway, Lua, L-U-G-H, Lua. Honor the god Lua or as a celebration of the harvest. Grain for 
grain has had has held a place of importance in civilization back nearly to the beginning of time. Grain became associated with the cycle of death and rebirth. The Sumerian god Tammuz was slain and his lover Ishtar grieved so heartily that nature stopped producing. Ishtar mourned Tammuz and followed him to the underworld to bring him back, similar to the story of Demeter and Persephone. In Greek legend, the grain god was Adonis. Two goddesses, Aphrodite and Persephone, battled for his love. To end the fighting, Zeus ordered Adonis to sp spend six months with Persephone in the underworld and the rest with Aphrodite. A Feast of Bread In early Ireland, it was a bad idea to harvest your grain any time before Lamas. It meant that the previous year's harvest had run out early, and that was a serious failing in agricultural communities. However, on August 1st, the first sheaves of grain were cut by the farmer, and by nightfall his wife had made the first loaves of bread of the season. The word Lamas derives from the Old English phrase, oh, oh boy, Hlaf Maesi. I didn't come across that one. Darn it. It's H-L-A-F-M-A-E-S-S-E, which translate to loaf mass. In early Christian times, the first loaves of the season were blessed by the church. And this is a quote by Stephen Batty. He says, in Wessex, during the Anglo-Saxon period, bread made from the new crop would be brought to the church and blessed. And then the Lamas loaf was broken into four pieces and placed in the corner of a barn, where it served as a symbol of protection over the garnered grain. Lamas was a ritual that recognized a community's dependency on what Thomas Hardy once called the ancient pulse of germ and birth. Honoring the past. In some Wiccan and modern pagan traditions, Lamas is also a day of honoring Lua, the Celtic craftsman god. He is a god of many skills and was honored in various aspects by societies, both in the British Isles and in Europe. Lunasa is still celebrated in many parts of the world today. Lua's influence appears in the names of several European towns. In our modern world, it's often easy to forget the trials and tribulations our ancestors had to endure. For us, if we need a loaf of bread, we simply drive over to the local grocery store and buy a few bags of prepackaged bread. If we run out, it's no big deal. We just go and get more. When our ancestors lived hundreds and thousands of years ago, the harvesting and processing of grain was crucial. If crops were left in the fields too long or the bread not baked in time, families could starve. Taking care of one's crops meant the difference between life and death. By celebrating Lamas as a harvest holiday, we honor our ancestors and the hard work they must have had to do in order to survive. It is a good time to give thanks for the abundance we have in our lives and to be grateful for the food on our tables. Lamas is a time of transformation, of rebirth and new beginnings. So some of the symbols of the season. The wheel of the year has turned once more, and you may feel like decorating your house accordingly. While you probably can't find too many items marked as Lamas decor in your local discount store, there are a number of items you can use to decorate for Lamas. Sickles and scythes, as well as other symbols of harvesting season, grapes and vines, dried grains such as sheaves of wheat, bowls of oats, etc. Corn dolls, which you can make easily using dried husks. Early fall vegetables such as squashes and pumpkins to re represent the harvest as well as abundance. Late summer fruits like apples, plums, and peaches to celebrate the end of the summer harvest as we transition into fall. Some crafts, songs, and celebrations. 
Because of its associated with Lua, the skilled god Lamas is also a time to celebrate talents and craftsmanship. It's a traditional time of year for craft festivals and for skilled artisans to peddle their wares. In medieval Europe, guilds were arranged for their members to set up booths around a village green, festooned with bright ribbons and fall colors. Perhaps this is why so many modern Renaissance festivals begin around this time of year. Lua is also known in some traditions as the patron of bards and magicians. Now is a great time of year to work on honing your own talents, learn a new craft, or get better at an old one. Put on a play, write a story or a poem, take up a musical instrument, or sing a song. Whatever you choose to do, this is the right season for rebirth and renewal. So, set August 1st as the day to share your new skill with your friends and family. Okay, so that is the first article that I read for Lunasa. So, I found another one. And this is from cladadesign.com forward slash history forward slash all about Lunasa. And I found this to be very interesting because it went even deeper into the, the, um, into the history and who Lua is. And so let's talk about that. So Lunasa is the final of the four primary festivals in the ancient Celtic calendar. The Celtic year began with Samhain in October, which is Halloween for some of you that don't aren't familiar too much with Samhain. So that's Halloween, October 31st. Preparing for winter and the end of the harvest. Next was in bulk and February to celebrate the end of winter and the beginning of lambing season. Beltane, the most important festival in May, was all about summer. Celtic philosophy revolved around the concepts of light and dark, and the year was divided into a dark half, beginning with Samhain, and a light half, beginning with Beltane. Each half was also quartered, with each quarter marked with a festival, so naturally Beltane was the happiest celebration. Finally, Lunasa in August rounded off the year by welcoming autumn, the beginning of the harvest, and the end of the summer. So what was Lunasa about? These festivals were widely observed across Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man, held at the midway point between the summer solstice and the autumn equinox. It lasted for about a month, with the 1st of August as its midpoint. Wales and England also had similar festivals at a similar time known as Gwil Ost and Lammas, as well as celebrating the beginning of harvest time and saying farewell to the summer season. Lunasa had a number of other associations. These included ritual ceremonies dedicated to the god Lua, hence the festival's name, athletic competitions, matchmaking, trading, and as well as all Celtic festival feasting. The festival was a time for the whole community to come together and celebrate, so all the festivities took place outdoors. In Irish mythology, which is Lorelai's absolute favorite, it is suggested that Lunasa began as a funeral feast for the god Lua, with an athletic competition also taking place to commemorate his mother, Tautiu, aptly named the Tautian Games. She was said to have died of exhaustion after clearing Ireland's plains so the people could farm. These were the two most important components for the feast for the Celts. They would feast on the first of the harvest corn and the other grains reaped from the field, as well as bilberries, a similar fruit to blueberries, and a sacrificial bull. People collected bilberries from the surrounding bushes, and if the crop was plentiful, then the harvest was said to be plentiful too. 
The best warriors and athletes would gather for the games, which included competition like long jump, high jump, running, hurling, spear throwing, archery, wrestling, boxing, swimming, and a chariot and horse racing. In Telltown, County Meath, the site of the ancient games, there is even evidence of artificial lakes dating from the time. Lunasa Customs. Although the customs of some other festivals have died along the way, many of the customs that took place at Lunasa are still present in today's celebrations. Albeit in an altered and more modern format, the Taltian Games honored the best athletes of Celtic society, but also held a number of non-sporting competitions alongside it, such as singing, dancing, poetry, and storytelling, among others. Trial marriages were conducted at the festival, where couples joined hand in hand through uh, joined hands through a hole in a slab of wood. The trial marriage would last a year and a day, after which it could be made permanent or broken without question. Dude, I think that's actually kind of a great idea. <laughs> well, trial marriage that would be what dating, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, it. It just seemed kind of funny the way that the trial marriage. So yeah, that would be dating in our day and age. You would date somebody before you would marry them. That would be your trial marriage, I guess, in a way. It's just funny just reading that out loud, <laughs> thinking of it. I guess, you know, and it's funny because we have all these all these different competitions and, and different uh, TV shows out today with people trying to like, you know, do the marriage thing and like there's this one thing on Netflix now that you you don't look at you don't even get to see the person that you're supposed to like be married to or whatever it's like love is blind or something and just the thought of that is like what <laughs> I don't know <laughs> anyway I went out on a tangent but I just thought that was really funny the trial marriage would last a year and a day <laughs> after which it could be made permanent or broken without question well that's that seems kind of cool to me, I don't know. You guys tell me what you think about that. Since Lunasa was all about Lua, offerings were made to him in various ceremonies. He was given the first of the corn harvested before anyone else was allowed to eat along with a meal of other new foods. Once the aforementioned bull had been sacrificed and eaten, there was another ceremony involving gifting its hide to someone and replacing the sacrificed bull with another young bull. After that, various plays were performed involving dances, recounting stories of fighting over goddesses, and other episodes from Lua's life. As a finale, a head was installed on top of the hill where the performances took place, with an actor playing Lua triumphing over it. Triumphing over it. Boy, can't talk today. Like the other Celtic festivals, Lunasa was an opportune time to make deals in the political, social, and economic sense. As well as the competitions, feasting, and revelry, it was also an important trading occasion for neighboring communities, as it was one of the few times in the year when they were all together and not fighting each other. Chieftains would hold important meetings with one another, farmers would make trade agreements about crops or cattle from the coming season, and rival communities would come together for negotiations, since festivals meant dowing weapons by default. Finally, a last common tradition of Celtic festivals made an appearance of Lunasa too. Visits to Holy Wells, or Holy, Holy Wells, visits to Holy Wells. People would bring small offerings to the wells, usually coins or strips of cloth called cluties, and 
leave them at the well after walking around in a sunwise, i.e. following the same path as the sun, direction in an effort to gain health and wealth from the gods. The alternative name Garland Sunday comes from the tradition of decorating the wells with flowers. Unlike the other festival of Samhain, Beltane and Bulk, fire does not appear to have been a major part of Lunasa festivals. So let's talk about the Celtic god Lua. So who was the mythological Lua that Lunasa festivities honored every year? He was a hero and god for the Celts and seemingly held the title of High King of Ireland at one point. He is also known as the, ooh, so this one I looked up, Luada, yes, Luada, known as the Luada, meaning long hand, because of his exemplary skill with a spear. Lua appears in Welsh mythology, also under the name Lua Gifts, meaning the bright one with the strong hand. Ugh. If you're from Ireland and you're knowing what I'm saying right now, uh, please don't eye roll me too hard. <laughs> so sorry. I am trying so hard. (laughs) I'll keep going. Anyway, but what made him worthy of such an important festival? Lua was the son of Sheen, member of the Tuatha de Danann, the first superhuman inhabitants of Ireland, according to mythology. At Ethnew, whose father was Baelor, king of the Fomorians. Okay, stay with me here, guys. We can do this. King of the Fomorians, another race of superhuman Irish inhabitants. He was raised by Tautiu, queen of the Fir Bolg, yet another ancient race. To make things even more confusing, the legend goes that Lua was one of triplets born to Ifniu after a fairy seduced her. Since her father had her locked in a tower to prevent her ever meeting any man because a druid told him that her son would try to kill him. Although the circumstances of his birth and upbringing were more than a little complicated, Lua traveled to Tara, regardless to join the Tuatha de Danann, to gain entry to the tribe Lua. Uh, to gain entry to the tribe, Lua was asked to present a special skill to show his worth. Well, we just talked about he had like a million and eight skills, right? They rejected his skills as a smith, swordsman, harpist, poet, historian, sorcerer, and craftsman, dude. I mean, really? He's like a man of like a million and eight talents. How can they reject him? Well, anyway, but when he asked if they had had any member with all of those skills simultaneously, they couldn't find a reasonable excuse to refuse him. And rightfully so, they would be kind of dumb not to, I mean, to refuse him, right? Yes, they would be dumb. Once in the tribe, he quickly impressed them obviously, and convinced them to overthrow their oppressors, the Fomorians, with him leading them into the battle. It wasn't too long before they chose him as their overall leader on top of that. Well, duh. I mean, geez, he's got like all the things. I mean, geez, give me a break. Be like, Here you go. Here's the leadership hat, buddy. <laughs> You're kind of awesome. Louis <laughs> gets the leadership hat. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having fun with this. Okay. Naturally, Lua and his army won the battle against the Fomorians, but their new leader spared the Fomorian leader's life after he promised to teach everyone how and when to plant and reap crops. He started the Taltian Games to commemorate his now-dead foster mother and organized the first Lunasa fairs to celebrate the first successful harvesting of the tribe's crops. It was also to mark another triumph he was responsible for, this time over the other world. 
who wanted to keep the harvest for themselves. After 40 years of rule, Lua met an untimely end. One of his many wives had had an affair with Sir Malt, son of the Dagda. In revenge, Lua killed him, but Sir Malt's sons came to avenge their father's death, drowning him in a lake. Luckily, his feast was already a widespread and popular tradition and lived on for several thousands of years to commemorate his life. So let's talk about Lamas. The tradition of eating and sharing the first grains of the season that started with Lunasa eventually spread to other areas as similar festivals. In England, it transformed into the medieval festival known as Lamas Day. In keeping with the Lunasa tradition, the first grains were offered to the gods. In this case, the local church in the form of a baked loaf of bread. The loaf was blessed and then broken into four pieces, with one piece placed in each corner of the home for good fortune and to protect the stored harvest grains. Well, we talked about that in the last article, so now we know that is for sure a thing. Because of the similar timing and tradition, Lamas is often confused with Lunasa because its origins are very different. Lunasa today. Lunasa still remains as a recognized part of Ireland's culture in at least one sense. The month of August in which the festival traditionally l- took place is known as Lunasa in Irish. It has also made its way into Irish culture in the form of books, plays, and films. The most well-known of, the, of these is Brian Friel's Dancing at Lunasa, about the events that take place in a family from the small town of Ballybeg, Donegal in 1936. I've been to Donegal. I love that place. It's a really sweet town. Anyway, I'll continue on. Over the years, Lunasa had taken a few different forms and names, including Garland Sunday, Bilberry Sunday, Mountain Sunday, and the still surviving Reek Sunday. The latter is particularly known for the surviving Lunasa tradition of climbing hills and mountains. It is a popular day for pilgrims to climb Krog Patrick. The custom of trading is also still alive in several big fairs that take place around Ireland at the beginning of August, the most famous of which is the Puck Fair. Now, if you're familiar with that name, Puck, then you know Shakespeare, (laughs) because my older sister is probably going, yep, yep, that's right, because Puck is a predominant character in one of the best stories or one of the best plays from Shakespeare, Midsummer Night's Dream. Puck was one of the lead fairies in that play. So that just kind of piqued my interest a little bit. So anyway, that is known as the Puck Fair, held in Kilorglin, County Kerry, since at least the 16th century. This three-day festival involves parades, dancing, arts and crafts, and most importantly, a horse and cattle fair and market. At the beginning of the festival, a wild goat is crowned king in the town, and a local girl is crowned queen. In recent years, a number of other revival Lunasa festivals have sprung up in various towns around Ireland. So this ancient Celtic celebration isn't going away just yet. Okay, so that covers the topic, Lunasa. So I wanted to also do a guided meditation. So if you have time for that, just wait for the end of this episode and then it'll move into the guided meditation and if you have some time to do that go for it i really love this guided meditation so i hope that you guys enjoy it too but anyway thank you guys again for listening to another awesome episode of third eye with lorelei and i hope to see you again next week and 
I'm really excited to talk to you about some new stuff this week and to get right on back on that metaphysical highway, learning about all the things and you guys get to be there with me. So, so happy to be back on this metaphysical freight train again, learning all the things with you guys. Can't wait to talk to you again in a week. In the meantime, love and light to you all. And I'll talk to you again soon. are supported, your body is warm and resting comfortably. Allow yourself to settle into this comfortable space and let your mind begin to move into quietness. of your day. Breathe in, cooling off every muscle. Breathe out, fast-paced energy as we settle into a space of calm. Take a moment to sit in this place of calm. Release the tension between your eyes, your shoulders, your neck, your jaw, your back. <laughs> 
all the way down to your feet. Imagine you are sitting in front of a vast lake. The water is still and quiet. The trees do not sway from the breeze, but remain standing tall and rooted to the earth. You may hear chimes from a nearby cabin or the lapping of water against the dock. But notice the stillness, the peace and beauty of the quiet, unmoving landscape. Notice the sun hovering over the surface of the water. It may be rising or setting. Allow your mind now to focus on your energy bodies. Each chakra glows with its specific color and purpose. Let's begin with your root chakra your grounding chakra, which is a brilliant deep red. Is it glowing bright? Is it moving? If you notice that it is slow moving, take in a deep cleansing breath. And as you do, imagine the air you take in makes your root spin faster like blowing into a pinwheel. Allow the red glow to shine bright as it spins faster. Take a few more breaths here to allow your root to spin and glow bright. words after me. I am rooted to the earth. I am one with the magic of the earth. My needs are wholly and completely met. I am safe and protected. sacral chakra below your navel, your place of creativity and expression, of desire and sexuality. It is a beautiful bright orange. 
take notice of its brightness and its spin. Take a few deep breaths and allow your orange sacral chakra to spin faster and glow brighter. ideas and creative expression. I freely manifest my dreams and desires. I welcome new forms of expression. I embrace my desires for intimacy I enjoy my sexuality. My wants are being fulfilled every day. Now move your attention upwards to your solar plexus, your seat of personal power and confidence. It shines like a bright sun at your core, just above your navel, as you marvel at its happy yellow color. Notice its spin. Is it slow or fast? Take a few deep breaths into your sun-bright solar plexus and increase its spin and shine. words after me. I am powerful and confident in who I am. I embrace new change and lessons of my life with grace and ease. I am encouraged as I become the powerful person I am. I embrace who I am and who I am meant to be. I am strength. I am power. I am confidence. Now, move your attention upwards once more your heart center, your heart chakra. It glows and spins in a bright healing green color. <laughs> 
your space of compassion, love, healing, and forgiveness. This chakra center is the central point between the earth chakras and the divine chakras. It turns and spins both energies and emits the most infinite force in the universe, love. Take notice of the spin and glow of your heart chakra. Take a few deep breaths, sending it right to your green heart center, letting each breath of air make it glow brighter and spin faster. When you are ready, repeat these words after me. I am love. I feel and invite the infinite love and compassion that the universe is sending me. I open myself to forgiveness. I open myself the love of others. I open myself to the love for others. And I open myself to the love I have for myself. I am the infinite love that is the universe. your attention upwards again to the hollow of your throat, your center for communication and personal truth. It is a light and bright blue. Take notice of how it spins and glows. Begin to breathe and help this area spin and glow brighter. of myself and others flow from me. I am peace and grace. I am truth. Now, 
shift your attention upwards yet again to the area between your brows, the seat of your spiritual sight, your third eye. It spins and glows in a deep and divine indigo color. Is this area bright and spinning freely? Take notice of this sacred space, this place of sight. As you breathe in, imagine the indigo color intensifying and the spin increasing in speed. When you are ready, repeat these words after me. I am able to see with perfect and precise clarity. My vision of past, present, and future is clear, colorful, and focused. I am spiritual sight. I see with unhindered sight. Finally, move your attention up to the top of your head, your crown chakra, the place of your divine knowing and your direct connection to the divine. It is a glorious shade of violet Take notice of this chakra's brightness and spin. Breathe into this chakra and with each breath, allow the color and speed to increase. When you are ready, repeat after me. I am one with the divine. I receive the knowledge of the ascended masters. I embrace my growth in divinity. As the universe knows all, I know the universe. I expand my knowing and my connection. I am the knowledge that I seek. Now take notice of all of your chakras. Breathe into all of these beautiful energy bodies. With each breath, allow them to glow bright and spin faster in grand unison. Imagine a beam of light pouring down from the heavens, 
and pour over your head and cover your entire body in diamond white light. Sit in this beautiful and safe space, looking across the stillness breathing into your brightly glowing energy bodies. You are balanced, whole, and at perfect peace. If you find yourself interested in receiving an intuitive tarot reading, contact me at 3rdeyelorelei at gmail.com or you can message me on my Instagram at 3rd.eye.with.lorelei or on Facebook at Third Eye with Lorelei Podcast to set up a reading. I can do Zoom or we can meet in person as long as we are wearing those face masks and practicing social distancing just to be safe. As always, love and light to you all, and I look forward to reading you soon.